Well, good morning and welcome to worship here at Calvary. Whether you braved the ice skating rink to get here and you're here in person, or we know we've got a big crowd watching online today, hopefully you're on the beach somewhere and not just at, at home. But we're glad that we can join together, even virtually, and worship God together and dig into his word together. You know, we take a moment in all of our worship experiences where we have an opportunity, not an obligation, to invest into God's mission. It's really a way that we can show God that we trust him and that we have faith in him and we're acknowledging everything we have is a gift from him. It's a way for us to loosen our grip on the things of this world. So if you brought a gift that you'd like to invest into Jesus's mission, super easy to do so. If you're here in person, you can drop it on the way out of the worship center in one of the boxes. You can also give online at calvary.org give. And we're so thankful for your partnership in the gospel. So today we are kicking off a new sermon series that I'm really excited about. And it's a sermon series that we're calling Storyline. It's also a small group series. So if you're not a part of a small group, we'd love to get you plugged in for this next season. Wow. That is unexpected. <laughs> not exactly sure what's going on. So um, maybe the booth can hit pause or stop. There we go. It's kind of like at home when I get into all those input things and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. Anyway, so we are kicking off a new sermon series and maybe have random videos along the way. Um, but you know, one of the things that the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus is that Jesus is the author of our faith. And I love that word choice, that it's the idea that Jesus is actively writing a story He's writing a story that he's a part of and that we're a part of. And you know, if you go all the way back into the very first pages of scripture, you find out that God creates through speaking things into existence, that there's a power to his words. And then if you fast forward into the beginning of the New Testament, we find out that Jesus himself is called the word of God. In John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And that's Jesus himself. Again, he's a part of writing a story in our world and in our lives. And so no matter where you're at today, no matter where you've been, you are writing a story with your life. Your life is telling a story to others. But really the question for each one of us as we consider our own stories is, are we writing a compelling story? Is it a meaningful story? Is there purpose in our story? What are we portraying and communicating to those around us? Now, this might be kind of a morbid thought, but have you ever stopped to think about what people are gonna say about you at your funeral? Have you ever stopped to think about that? What would people say about you at your funeral? When this life is over, when you're done writing the story of your life, what is it that people will remember about you? Now, being a pastor, of course, I've been to quite a few funerals throughout my ministry. And many times it's people I really don't know at all. And it's fascinating to see how people choose to talk about the person who's no longer with us. And so sometimes it's just so incredible. 
person after person will get up and talk about the impact that this person has made, the difference that they've made, how they've gone above and beyond to help others and to impact others with their faith. But there's other times where people will very obviously try to make a stretch. You know, they're like, they're trying to think of good things to say about this person. You know, like, hey, they were a great bowler, they liked donuts, and we had a great time out at the coffee shop once in a while. Have you ever thought about what people will say about you? Have you made a difference? Have you made an impact on the lives of others? And maybe if you're honest, you're not exactly sure what people would say. Maybe when your time comes, you're not 100% confident of what the story is that you've written with your life. Because for many of us, I think if we take an inventory of our life, we'd say it's kind of repetitive. A lot of times it's dull. It's kind of mundane. You know, we kind of get into ruts in our life, maybe there's a very predictable rhythm. You know, you get up early, you go to work, you come home, you watch television, you go to bed, and the next day, it's the same thing over and over again. And then, you know, the weekend comes and you get to have a few laughs, maybe hang out with some friends, but then on Monday, it's back to the same routine. But here's the thing. It's something we believe with all our hearts here at Calvary. God created you on purpose for a purpose. God created you, you personally, for a specific purpose. And he did that on purpose. His desire for your life is that you would thrive, not just survive, not just get in some sort of rut and try to make it to the end, coasting along. No, he has greater things, greater plans for you. You know, Jesus talked about this in John chapter 10. When he talked about himself, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus doesn't want us to have just a mediocre, unremarkable, uninspiring life. He wants us to have a truly abundant life, a life that makes a difference, that counts for something a life that brings glory to God and furthers his mission. And so in this series that's gonna lead up to Easter, each week we're gonna take a look at an aspect of Jesus' own story. And then we're gonna look at how we can take those lessons and take those rhythms and we can apply them to our own lives so that we can truly have an abundant life, a life that's full of meaning and purpose and impact. Now, you know, every good story, you know, whether it's a book, whether it's just an essay, a short story, or a screenplay, it begins with an author sitting down either at a piece of paper or at a computer monitor. And I love to picture this moment of kind of a classic author sitting down to write a story. I, I always think of, you know, kind of one of those suit coats with the elbow patches, you know, maybe a pipe, little cup of bourbon, you know, maybe starting out this story. But whoever the writer is, to write a compelling story means they need to have a compelling vision, right? They might not know all the ins and outs, everything the characters are going to do. They might not know what chapter 34 is going to look like, but they need to have a vision of why the story is worth telling, 
Why does this story need to be told? Why does it need to be read? Why does it need to be published? So I was thinking back at some of the most popular and enduring stories of the past 50 years. And of course, one that leaps to the top is Star Wars, right? Star Wars was written by George Lucas, who had a compelling vision of a galaxy far, far away. And the very first Star Wars movie came out in 1977. And it's really a pretty basic story. It's about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Luke Skywalker and his friends. But there's this also this timeless battle between good and evil that is so compelling to us. And of course, then he set it in outer space, which made it different. Now, if this, the characters in Star Wars just zoomed around and had coffee together and played badminton, it wouldn't be that compelling of a story, right? But because George Lucas had this vision for this galaxy and for this tension that's taking place, it's become one of the most compelling and enduring stories in past decades, so much so that Disney bought it for an ungodly amount of money, and now they put out Star Wars shows about every other week. Well, I think if we look at God's story, we see that he had a compelling vision for himself that we are a part of. God's vision is that there would be a restored relationship with all of the people that he created. And the Bible shows us that he would stop at nothing to accomplish his vision. And so he sends leaders and he sends judges and he sends kings and he sends prophets all to bring people back to him. And when that doesn't work, he stops at nothing, including sending his only son to accomplish his vision. And so Jesus also had a compelling vision for his own life. In Luke chapter 19, he puts it like this. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. If you wanna sum up what Jesus is about, what his vision for living is, it's that, to come and seek and save the lost. And that's why he doesn't get involved in all sorts of distractions. He doesn't get involved in politics. He doesn't start a business. It's because he has this compelling vision. He ultimately says, I will accomplish this vision to seek and save the lost, even if it kills me. And it does. It kills him. But then three days later, he rises again, and it changes history. It changes eternity. Jesus has this incredibly compelling vision for his life, and that's really, really good news for each one of us. But you know, God also has a compelling vision for your life. Not just humanity in general, but you personally. Again, he made you on purpose for a purpose. He's given you unique gifts and talents and abilities and a personality. He's placed you where you are at in history and in geography with proximity to certain people on purpose so that you can live out his mission, so that you can be who he wired you up to be. And some of you are saying, yeah, I totally get it. That's what I feel like I'm doing right now. I am in my sweet spot. 
But maybe others are thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about, or even maybe you're thinking, you know, I'm so far down the wrong path at this point, I'm not sure I can ever get back on track. Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter four, there's this compelling story about a person who has written a chaotic and painful story. But after she meets Jesus face to face, he completely redeems her story and gives her a new vision and a new purpose for living. So if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter four. And a little context, at the beginning of John chapter four, Jesus has now begun his public ministry and the Pharisees are freaked out. They wanna do everything they can do to obstruct what Jesus is trying to do. They are heavily into opposing his ministry. So Jesus decides he needs to leave Jerusalem and travel north back to Galilee. But in order to get to Galilee, he has to cross through an area called Samaria. And in Samaria, of course, are the Samaritans. And you might remember from the Good Samaritan story that the Jews and the Samaritans were like oil and water. They hated each other because the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. They were half-Jewish, half-Gentile. They were seen as traitors to the Jewish people. And so we're going to pick up the story there, when Jesus travels into Samaria, it's about noon. It's the hottest time of the day in the desert. And the disciples say, you know, we need to make a run to Subway, go get some sandwiches. And Jesus decides to stay back. And he sits by a well in the middle of the village. So let's look at verse four, or John four, starting with verse seven. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, you need to see that Jesus has done two incredibly scandalous things. First, he's talking to a Samaritan. Again, they hate each other, Jews and Samaritans. This is never done in public or in private. But then number two, Jesus, a man, is talking to a woman by the well. At this time in history, unfortunately, women were seen as second-class citizens and men would never, ever stop and chat. Yet we see right from the beginning, Jesus treats this woman with the utmost dignity and care. It's totally unheard of. He's changing social conventions on the spot. But what you also need to notice is the time of day that this woman is choosing to get water. Again, it's noon. It's the hottest time of the day. All the rest of the women in the village would come and get water early in the morning when it was still cool out. You know, one gallon of water weighs eight pounds They'd often be carrying between five and 10 pounds, so somewhere between 40 and 80 pounds of water, of course you wouldn't wanna go at noon. And so we can quickly figure out that the reason she comes at noon is she doesn't want to see anyone else. She's trying to avoid the crowd because she has something to hide. 
She doesn't want to be shamed. She doesn't want to be judged. She doesn't want to be insulted. Well, Jesus says, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and the well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Now this woman's getting a little sarcastic. She's like, okay, pal, I mean, you don't even have a bucket. Where are you gonna get this magic water that you're offering? But Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Now, Jesus isn't offering her a lifetime supply of Aquafina or a new water filtration system for her house. No, Jesus is using a metaphor of living water for the abundant life that he wants to give, that we are created for. He's telling this woman, I can redeem your story. I can give you a new and better vision for your life but she still doesn't quite get it. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I'll never be thirsty again. And then you see her main motivation. She says, and I won't have to come here to get water. Again, it's about relationships, really broken relationships, not wanting to be judged and shamed any longer. So Jesus sees an opening here. He pries a little bit deeper into her story. He says, go and get your husband. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. I mean, Jesus now has gotten to the heart of the matter. He sees more in this woman than everyone else does. She's bought into a false vision for her life. Perhaps she has gotten to the point where she finds her value in her relationship with men. Perhaps she's also being mistreated and abused again and again. And no matter what her backstory is, at this point she feels ashamed and she feels worthless and she feels helpless. Really, this woman is thinking, I'm the type of person who will always be thirsty. Nothing will ever change. Her identity is in broken relationships, in shame, and in trying to hide from other people. But you see, again, Jesus is so different, and he treats her with such care and gentleness that she starts to lean in. She says, you know, I would love to serve and worship the God that you do, but I'm a Samaritan. And Jesus starts to explain, well, because of his coming, everything has changed, and now anyone can worship God in spirit and in truth, wherever they might be. And the woman says, 
I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Now this woman has heard about the Messiah, but Jesus says, yeah, that's me. I'm sitting right here. And you need to understand how mind-blowing this is. Remember, this woman thought she was worthless and beyond hope, and yet she is the very, very first person on earth that Jesus shares who he really is with. I mean, he could have picked any other person, his parents, his siblings, his best friends, a rabbi, maybe a reporter at the local newspaper. But Jesus shows how valuable and how important this woman is. He's saying, you know, everybody else might call you insults, but you are important enough to hear this first. Now, if you fast forward a little bit to verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And so people came streaming from the village to see him. Now, do you see what this also means? This woman is the very first missionary in all of history. And all sorts of Samaritans became followers of Jesus because of her. Jesus gave her a brand new vision for life. She was not defined by her past story, her past decision, her broken relationships. You see, now, without guilt or shame, she can proudly say, I exist to lead people into a relationship with Jesus. So church, we see Jesus had a compelling vision for his own life. And he went all above and beyond to give this woman a new vision for her life. And he wants to do the same for you and for me. Jesus wants you to experience a truly abundant life, living out your God-given purpose. So can you fill in this blank? I exist too. God has created me. He's placed me here. I exist to do this. Donald Miller is one of my favorite Christian authors. He wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And it's all about writing a life story. And he starts the book out by saying this. If you watched a movie about a guy who wanted a Volvo and worked for years to get it, you wouldn't cry at the end when he drove off the lot testing the windshield wipers. You wouldn't even tell your friends you saw a beautiful movie or go home and put on a record to think about the depth of the story that you'd seen. The truth is, you wouldn't remember that movie a week later, except you'd feel robbed and you'd want your money back. 
Because no one cries at the end of a movie about a guy who wants a Volvo. But we spend years actually living out these stories, and we expect our lives to feel meaningful. And here's the quote I want you to take account of or to remember. He says, the truth is, if what we choose to do with our lives won't make a story meaningful, it won't make a life meaningful either. So let me ask you, do you have a lack of vision in your life? Have you just settled for a quest after luxury cars or a bigger portfolio or more square footage in your home? You know, more than 20 years ago, Pastor John Piper preached a legendary sermon to a huge crowd of young adults. And he talked about an article he read in Reader's Digest about a couple who retired early down to the beach and every day they looked for seashells. And he imagined a day when they would stand before God and he would ask them to give an account for their life and they would show him their seashell collection. And he wondered, is God supposed to be impressed with our seashell collection? What is the vision for life that God has put deep within you? Again, God does not create boring, meaningless, superficial stories or people. So I wanna challenge you today to write a vision statement for your life. To complete that statement, I exist too. Why did God create you? Why did he place you here? Who are the people that are in your sphere of influence that you can have an impact on? Now, some of you have done an exercise like this before, but also your vision statement can change throughout different seasons of your life. Being clear on your life's vision can help bring focus to the story that you're writing. I think it can help you make better decisions along the way. It can bring clarity and purpose to different parts of your life. It can even teach you not to waste any moments or opportunities that come along. So this is gonna be a core element to this sermon series in the weeks ahead. So what I wanna ask you to do is to spend some time praying and thinking about this, and then I would like to invite you to share your vision statement with us on our website. Now, you won't attach your name. It's just gonna be anonymous, but we would love to start to see all the different visions that God has given people here at Calvary. And so if you scan the QR code, it'll take you to a submission page or just go to calvary.org slash storyline. Again, this will be an important part of the upcoming sermon series. Now, personally, my vision statement is I exist to communicate the good news of Jesus in a relevant way and help people take their next step of faith. Now, obviously, in my job, not everything I do directly corresponds to that vision statement. But what I remember then when I'm doing some of the mundane tasks is that doing those things enables me to be able to focus on the vision that God has given me. And when I'm out with my college friends or I'm spending time with my kids, I can still think about that vision statement 
that I want to help them see the gospel in a relevant way, that I want to help them take another step of faith. Now, what I want you to for sure remember too today is that there are no insignificant stories or callings. You might think, well, I'm just. Don't think that way. So maybe you're a parent and you think, well, what I focus on mostly is being an Uber driver for cranky tweens. I want you to think deeper than that. Maybe your statement would be, I exist to raise thoughtful and faithful kids who follow Jesus. It's something that you can do and focus on even when you are driving them around. Maybe you're a small business owner and you're like, well, you know, really what I do is I exist to make a profit. Well, think deeper than that. Maybe say, I exist to provide for the workers entrusted to me so that they can provide for others. Or perhaps you're retired and you're thinking, well, maybe I'm past this. But think about the vision that God could be giving you in this season of life. You're not done yet. Maybe your vision could be, I exist to pour into younger generations by mentoring them and encouraging them. Or maybe I exist to build up my grandkids with the love of Jesus. Well, finally, maybe the story about the woman at the well hits a little too close to home. Maybe you have a story that you really hope is never published or remembered by anyone. Now, the truth is we can't rewrite our past, but Jesus is in the business of redeeming stories and writing new chapters of hope. So focus on the compelling vision that God has given to you. What is the story he wants to help you write? And remember, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And he's ready to help you write that story. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks that you are actively writing a story, a story of love and grace and forgiveness, that we are not beyond hope, no matter what our past looks like, but because of Jesus, we, ha we have the possibility and the invitation for new life, new hope, and new vision. God, help remind us of the purpose that you have for us, the vision you have for our lives. Help us to play a vital role in your story of redemption and restoration in this world. And so God, I'm excited for what you're gonna do in and through this church as we focus on your story and how our story can link up with yours. And so God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's all say together, amen.